Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, we're so grateful this evening that Jesus came, that he paid our debt. I thank you, Lord, that many of us may have other debts, but one debt we don't have. We don't have the debt of sin and death and hell. I thank you, Jesus, you took care of that debt. It's a debt that we could never pay. You didn't even owe it, and you paid it for us, and we thank you tonight for that. We pray tonight for a spirit of revelation, that as we hear the word, that we would be open to what you have to say to us through your word. I pray for the anointing of God to be on the words that I speak, and that they come from you, Holy Spirit, and you just tell us what you want us to, to hear tonight. Lord, we give you thanks, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I told you one time about a, a preacher that um, I, I heard preach one time, and, and he brought a bunch of ceramic cows to the platform and a, and a baseball bat. Did I tell you that? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he was preaching this message, and every now and then he would smash one of those cows with a baseball bat because they were sacred cows, and he was just getting rid of the sacred cows. And it was very effective because I remember, I don't remember the specific cows, but I remember smashing those cows with that baseball bat. I felt sorry for the people who had to clean up after he got finished, but I mean, he would just smash them into pieces. Well, I'm going to warn you before I start, I may take out a sacred cow tonight. If it's your sacred cow, you can believe what I'm going to read from the Bible, or you can keep petting the cow. It's up to you. It doesn't matter to me. The sacred cows don't really give milk. They just eat stuff that doesn't belong to them. Just That's what happens in India. I've seen many of them. So let me just start off by reading a passage of Scripture. You've all heard this. This is in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And it says, And the devil, taking him, talking about Jesus, up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, before this, in verse 2 of that chapter, it says, Jesus was tempted of the devil for 40 days. So let me ask you the first question here. Is this a real kingdom that the devil is offering to Jesus? See, a lot of people are on the fence about that particular one. He showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. Showed him all. All of them. And he said to him, he said, all this power will I give to you. Now, it said he was being tempted of the devil. Seems to me like it's got to be pretty real if Jesus was tempted. If the devil didn't have it to give to Jesus, there would be no temptation. Right? He said, he said, all these, I'm, he said, I'll give it all, I'll give you the glory. He said, it's delivered unto me and to whomsoever I give it. The devil here is offering to Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. It had to be a legitimate offer, or as I said, it wouldn't be a temptation. Now, a lot of religion is like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Surely the devil did not have that to give to Jesus. Obviously he did because it was a temptation. We're going to talk about that more here in a little bit. But what, what, what's, what's he really offering to Jesus? What is the devil really offering to him? 
He's offering what I'm going to call a synthetic kingdom. It's a synthetic one. It's synthetic. He's offering Jesus something that is synthetic. He's offering Jesus a way to be king of all the kingdoms without going to the cross. He's offering him a bloodless, painless way out. Remember, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father. He said, if there's another way to do this, let's do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So here the devil is offering Jesus a real kingdom. It's just not the one that Jesus came to initiate. He's offering him something very real. He's offering a synthetic salvation plan with no blood and no suffering. Synthetic. I mean, we're going to make a note here right now of how Jesus handled the devil by the word of his mouth. And hopefully if I'll get far enough in this message to, so we'll see that again before we go home tonight. Now, the devil is still peddling the same nonsense in many churches. And, and they're swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. He's trying to offer a bloodless, sacrificialist salvation. Something without the cross, without Jesus shedding his blood. And I'm going to tell you something that's really no salvation at all. But it's a real kingdom opportunity. A real kingdom. But it's only worth a fraction in value of the value of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus came to bring. So I said synthetic kingdom. What does synthetic mean? What is synthetic? In jewelry, the word synthetic doesn't mean imitation. An imitation jewel is one that is created by man for sure, but it only looks like or sort of looks like the real thing, but is not the real thing. The word synthetic in the jewelry industry means that it's, it's the real thing, but made by a man. A synthetic gemstone is a real gemstone. It's made in a laboratory. It's cut by the same cutters, but it is not naturally produced and mined from the earth. It's lab-grown, man-made. We've had man-made sapphires, rubies, and emeralds for a couple, 300 years. They've been making them a long, long time. Synthetic, man-made. When someone brings me an old piece of jewelry that great-great-grandma owned and it has a ruby in it, they are assuring me that it has to be real because it's old. <laughs> old doesn't make it real. Well, the real, the old doesn't make it natural from the earth, a genuine piece of jewelry. And they are very disappointed when I tell them the stone is synthetic. When you say, well, this is a ruby, but it's made by man, which means it's worth a fraction of the price. Right? Remember this, just because it's old doesn't mean it's real. And it doesn't mean it has value just because it's old. All right? It takes an expert to differentiate between the natural and the synthetic man-made gemstones. You have to know what you're looking at. Chances are, if I pass around a synthetic ruby in this room tonight, nobody in this room would know the difference except for me. I'm pretty sure that's the case. But you've got to know what you're looking at. It takes someone who knows. All right? Lab-grown diamonds are relatively new in the jewelry industry, but in 1954, a little company named General Electric invented the lab-grown diamond. They invented it, and since that day, it's been used quite a bit in the medical industry as for scalpels and those types of things because the diamond won't dull like metals will, will dull. But over the past 10 to 15 years, gem-quality lab-grown diamonds have been developed. 
and in much of the jewelry industry today, people are buying lab-grown diamonds. For their engagement rings, for the fashion jewelry they buy, they're buying lab-grown diamonds. And I'm going to tell you something. It takes an expert to tell the difference between the lab-grown and the earth-mined diamond. They're both diamonds. They're both almost pure carbon. But one is much more rare, and one is much more valuable than the other. Satan was offering Jesus a synthetic kingdom. It was real, but it was not of the same value that the kingdom of God is. Jesus came to bring to us the kingdom of God. Now, much of today, I'm going to be mean for just a minute. Much of the church today, not, not a single church, but the church today, is synthetic. It's very synthetic. There's a lot of shouting. There are a lot of theatrics. But there is no power. That tells me it has to be synthetic. If the church were operating in power, there's no way she would have allowed the shutdowns during the pandemic. There is no way she, she wouldn't have risen up and taken authority over the man-made synthetic virus. There's no way. There's no power. The church... Most of the church has simply laid down, cowed down, bowed down, and shut down and allowed its voice to be silenced because it's synthetic as opposed to the real thing. If the church had been operating in power, it would have foreseen the coming tyranny, would have taken steps to prevent it before time. I mean, the, the gift of prophecy, the, the words of knowledge and words of wisdom would have been prevalent, warning and telling people it was at hand. And even now that the shutdowns have ended across the nation in most states, the church is reverting back to its old ways, promising an experience and some entertainment with no real power to change lives and challenge the devil's thievery. Absolutely. It's synthetic. It's man-made. It's, it, it, it looks like the real thing, but you've got to be an expert to tell the difference. I mean... Just because it's old doesn't make it real. Just because we did it that way in the 70s at the charismatic renewal doesn't make it real today if we're manufacturing it by man. Jesus warned us that in the last days many would be deceived. And that was his first warning about the last days. We must become experts. Wait a minute. Are you telling me I've got to go to Bible college? No. I'm telling you to become an expert. Going to the Bible college doesn't make you an expert in the Word. I mean, we need to know the difference between the synthetic and the real. We've got to know the difference. People are being hoodwinked into thinking an experience is something that is from the Spirit of God when it's an experience in their soul. But you've got to know the difference. This has, this has to come to pass. Think about this passage of Scripture. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 4. I'm going to begin. The Israelites have just been beaten by the Philistines. I mean, they've been beaten bad by the Philistines. And it says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout. I mean, here they are. They got beat by the Philistines. They got together and they said, Why did we get beat by the Philistines? And then they said, You know what we ought to do? Somebody, this is the word they use in the King James, somebody ought to fetch the ark. Like it's a bone or like it's some religious 
ornament. They said somebody ought to fetch the Ark of the Covenant and bring it. And if they do that, this is my paraphrase, I bet we'll beat those Philistines. Okay, here's what the story says. This is what the Bible teaches us. So they brought the Ark into the, into the camp. All Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong. Quit yourselves like men. In other words, be strong. Act like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought. And Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen, and the ark of God was taken. That's a sad story right there. Here's the deal. They had been defeated. They fetched the ark. And it says, it says that, that it may save us. That it might. If we get the ark, it might save us. They didn't pray. They didn't seek the Lord. They just knew something like that had been done before, and it worked. They had no revelation. They just made a synthetic gesture of their own making. It was synthetic. It wasn't God because there was no power. They shouted, and they made a lot of noise. They were dancing. I mean, they were celebrating. They were shouting, but the shout didn't prevent the rout. Just because they shouted, just because the ark was there, that did not change it. Listen, a lot of the church is in that very place. Shouting. Putting on a great show. Like a football game. game. But parishioners are ill-prepared for the battle. Hoping somehow the Lord will do everything. And there will be no commitment, no consecration, or death to self on their part. If we can just sing and shout, make it look good, the devil will be scared of us. Listen, he's only afraid of the real anointing. And the real anointing is only in the place where there's real power. Mario Marilla said this. He said, the real measure of our anointing is what it actually does to Satan. Real authority from God drives back cultural evil. We should not be reveling in our theatrical services. We should be grieving over our powerless witness. You see, we we need to be people who understand what's going on in the world today. It's not about theater. It's about the anointing. They're relying on past victories, fought by others, not prepared to face the enemy today. We're not teaching the people of God how to take a stand for God, how to fight in the Spirit, how how to take the enemy. See, the Bible says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church of God. That's what Jesus said. They won't prevail against my church. That doesn't mean us hiding in a building somewhere and keeping the devil out. That means us going to the gates of hell and taking him out. It's a whole different mentality than, oh gosh, Lord, just show me somehow to pay my bills. Listen, your bills will get paid if you just take on the kingdom. I'll get there in just a minute. I just got ahead of myself. That's a synthetic Christianity. That's a synthetic, that's a Christianity that's made by man. It's emotional. It's in the soul. It's not, it's not wrought with power of the Spirit. Listen to this passage of Scripture. This is out of Judges chapter 16, verse 20. 
Now Delilah is talking. And she, it says, And she said to Samson, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Here's Samson. You know the story of Samson, the strong man. And, and he you know, tore the bars off of the city. He did all kinds of stuff. He killed all those Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. And I mean, this guy was a powerful man. Falls in love with this prostitute. Three times before this, she said, what's the secret of your strength? And he lied to her every single time. She nagged him and nagged him and nagged him until he told her the secret of his power. Here's what I don't understand. How could this prostitute do this to him? It seems like he should have figured it out. Doesn't it to you? I mean, I mean, after the first time, she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And he gets up and breaks the, the, the ropes. And, and I'm thinking, why would you fall for that again? I mean, the first time he might have been a victim. This time he's a volunteer, as, as, as I see it. I mean, and they, every time they tried to capture him, he failed here to connect the power of the anointing to an ongoing relationship with God. He felt like that he was entitled to God's strength and God's ability. On that night, he got up and he shook himself. But the shake didn't take that time. I mean, he exchanged the real for a synthetic anointing. Something that he thought that he could manufacture himself. See, the church, we're hoping the Lord will move in power. But there's no submission to the king. There's, there's, no, there's no honor to his majesty. I mean, many are feeling this thing of entitlement. But no, no matter the feeling of entitlement... The anointing is always connected to a relationship with him. Always connected. All else is synthetic. All else is man-made. Now, there is hope. I'm going to get to some good news here. We must connect to the king and his kingdom. You don't hear a lot of this in church anymore, what I'm telling you here tonight. Jesus said, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. That's interesting. Are we supposed to be like them? The answer is no. No, we're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be different than the world. He says, For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. The next verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What things? The, the housing, the clothing, the, the stuff that it's going to take to live. The entitled church of today is all about getting the things added to us. We have sermons, sermon series, songs, daily devotions. All these are about getting mine to me. What do I get? If you get saved, Jesus will help you get your Cadillac or whatever. Jesus will help you get your house. Or the, we have, we have whole, all the idea has become about me. The church is misused and mistaught grace and faith to the degree that it's minimized the lordship of Jesus and it's glorified the selfishness of the believer. This is good, huh? <laughs> 
That doesn't mean we don't pray for our needs. I mean, we just don't seek them. We're not seeking. My day is not caught up in me getting mine. My day should be caught up with him getting his. What do I do? How do I serve you, Master? What do I do for your kingdom, your majesty? How do I do that? You see, we, 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 we know it's not, about, it's not that we don't need the things. The Bible says that God knows you need them. That's what it said. He knows you have need of them. But, it's, but that's, not, that's not what my focus is. Religious people will say, well, you know, you never know what you need. Well, well God knows what you need. Them. We need to make sure we know that. The world is seeking after, making a living, getting all they can get. It's all about me. Jesus said we're supposed to be different than the world and what they're seeking after. We're different than the world. We're not to be seeking after the food, the clothing, the shelter. I'm not to be seeking after my kingdom, making my kingdom first place in my life. We're to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What does that mean? What is His righteousness? Well, righteousness is right as God sees it. It's rightness. Does God see it as right? That's what we're supposed to be looking for. All the world is seeking after what will be added as we seek the kingdom. If we'll seek the kingdom, he adds all that stuff to us. We don't have to add it to ourselves. The first object, object of my life is not my stuff, but his kingdom. That's what needs to take place. I mean, we must do our part and God will do his part. He is faithful to do his part. We don't have to remind him to do his part. Our focus is on our part and then he will add the, the other stuff as we seek first the kingdom. Now, obviously we know this. Not all Christians are seeking the kingdom. My question has to be, what about me? Am I seeking the kingdom? I mean, we've heard teaching over the years about the kingdom of God. We're all old enough to have been around a while. But just because it sounds familiar doesn't mean we even understand it. Okay, now, I may be getting close to this cow that I'm going to take out. In the very same chapter of Matthew, chapter 6, up earlier in the chapter, I mean, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, Jesus preached three things. He preached faith, repentance, and the kingdom. You know, the media will say Jesus preached love and acceptance. He never preached the acceptance. He talked about love to his, to his disciples. But he preached repentance, faith, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. In fact, when he, when he, when he, was, when he was before uh, Pilate, and Pilate asked him about the kingdom, he said, what, tell me about this kingdom. Well, how do you know about this kingdom? Because he knew that's all Jesus talked about was the kingdom. Because Jesus came with the real kingdom. And earlier in this chapter, after Jesus said, what we seek first is the kingdom, he says, before that, he said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What's the first thing we pray about? After we honor God, after we call on his name, after we pray to him, what's the very first thing we ought to be seeking God about? The kingdom. His kingdom. Not a synthetic kingdom. The real kingdom of God. I mean, his, the, our first request is the kingdom. And by the way, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in, in earth as it is in heaven. Well, if the kingdom comes, guess what happens? His will is done. He's, I mean, he's describing what happens when the kingdom comes. I mean, his will will be done. 
The word kingdom here, the, 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 the Greek word is, is basileia. It means the king's domain. Kingdom. King's domain. Other translations uh, use the word reign. In fact, Young's literal translation says, Thy reign come. Thy will come to pass, as in heaven also on the earth. Thy reign. He's talking about the reign of God. He's talking about, it, it, when it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Young's literal says, Seek ye first the reign of God. The kingdom is where God reigns and what God reigns over. That's the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be seeking, what God reigns over. We walk, we live by faith. We don't have to spend our time seeking the things. We seek the kingdom. The kingdom, what God reigns over. So here's the question. What does God reign over? Oh, well, he reigns over everything. Get ready to kick that cow right out of the ditch here. At the end of the, at the, end of the prayer, he also adds, for, thy, for thine is the kingdom. Whatever the king is reigning over is the kingdom. So, what is he reigning over? Christians have said this for a long time. Well, you know, God is in control of everything. God is in Everything happens for a reason. I mean, God's in control. I mean, everything has a purpose. Well, here's, what, here's my question. If God's will is being done over all the earth, then why would Jesus tell us to pray that it be done? If the kingdom, if God reigns over all the earth, every person, every kingdom, every country, if God is already reigning over them, why would we pray, thy kingdom come? It'd be a wasted prayer if we thought that. All right? Listen to this verse of Scripture. You hear that cow? It's already mooing really loud. <laughs> Psalm 115, verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. I'm going to tell you right now, He's reigning in heaven. Everything in heaven is His will. Everyone is doing exactly what He tells them to do. It is happening exactly right. The last half of the verse says, But the earth, the, uh, the word but, you know whenever somebody says, I love you, but, there's, it tells you something else is different here. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. God is absolutely in complete control of heaven. But the earth is a different story because he gave it to man. Isn't this good? Now I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 4 verse 5. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time the devil said to him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me. Who delivered it to him? Not God. Adam and Eve gave it to him. Adam and Eve delivered the kingdom. He said, he said, he said, he said, it's delivered to me, and whomsoever I will give it. See, he, he, Jesus, as we said, is he's really tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in all points, just like we are, without sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. Okay, it would have been a sin to fall for the temptation. It shows, the verse shows, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. What are the kingdoms of the world today? Well, a kingdom is where the government has domain. Where the government reigns and has domain. The United States of America would be a kingdom. Because it has domain in a certain part of the earth. Great Britain, obviously uh, Saudi Arabia, those are countries with kings. But we sometimes forget that, that it's, it's talking about a, a place where there's a domain. 
So, so Jesus, now here's my question. Does God reign over all the United States? Every, every person, everyone. Here's what the Bible calls Satan. It calls him the prince of this world. Jesus said he was a prince, a governing figure of this world. The Bible calls him the God of this world. Now the cow is going down. If he's the God of this world, the kingdom of God is not reigning over all the world. And God isn't controlling everything here. The traditions of men have replaced the Bible in churches all over the world. But Mama believed that. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's old doesn't make it valuable. If Mama was wrong, it's still wrong. Just because a lot of people believe it doesn't make it right. This is what I've known for a long time. I don't have the right to believe whatever I want to believe. Well, yeah, you do. No, no, no. If Jesus is my king, I have no right to believe anything but what he says I can believe. We have all these things going on. Just because I believe it doesn't make it true. Especially if it's not right. But if Jesus said it, I can believe it. If he's Lord, I'm to believe what he tells me to believe. And I have no right to my own beliefs. The truth is, the kingdom of God is reigning over all the world and all the people all the time. Ooh, this is good, huh? Yeah. When the devil reigns, what do we see? Stealing, killing, and destroying. Where you see that, the devil is reigning. And here's the good news. Eventually, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We want all to come to his kingdom, but we got our first job to do is to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we do. We seek the kingdom. Christianity is not just getting God to help me live my life. Christianity isn't building my kingdom, give me my money, do my thing. No, no, my part is to do, to, to do what I can do to build his kingdom. And it's an ever-increasing, ever-enlarging kingdom. Many people are focused only on their dreams, their desires, not interested in building the kingdom. Listen, we want the second half of Matthew 6.33, but many of us don't want the first half. I want him to add all the stuff, but I've got to seek First, his kingdom. If the devil, let me say it this way. Our job is to expand the kingdom. Expand it. At some point, the Bible says the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's going to happen as surely as we're sitting here, and more surely, actually. If God's not reigning over us, the devil is. We must seek after him. We're going to make sure his, I'm going to make sure, you're going to make sure his dominion extends over me, over you. That's what we want. That's what, that's, what's, that's what it's going to take for power to come back into the church. I love Revelation 11.5. It says, And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. One day he will reign over this earth. There comes a time when the kingdom of this world will be submitted to the kingdom of our Lord. I'm looking forward to the day. And I'm going to be there, and I think you are too. Amen? Amen. We're going to be there for the kingdom. Oh, man. i got a lot more to go here. If you can take 
just a few more minutes. We're going to be there at that moment. We're going to see the kingdom of God rule. But in the meantime, a lot of other things are going to happen. And we know that in the end times, the Antichrist will come. And we've talked about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. About how the church gets raptured, the Antichrist is, is revealed, and he'll be here. Tonight, I'm just going to share some good news about this Antichrist guy, just so you'll know. We've been, we looked at 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 so far. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to briefly share with you something here it says in, in chapter 7 and 8. It says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Now it's talking about the Antichrist is already here. He's, he, I mean, the Antichrist comes. He said, I told you that you didn't, you're not going to miss the rapture because, it, because the Antichrist can't come until you're raptured. And all this is what Paul told the church. He said, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. <laughs> And when that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth shall de- shall he- and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Let me just share this. This is, this is good news. Society is primed for the Antichrist. You know that, right? I mean, the lawless one. Society is primed. I mean, it's just ready for him. And they've been preparing for a long time. When it says, it says there's a mystery of iniquity, the word mystery, it, it describes something that's hidden, a mystery or a secret plan, something that's held in the hands of a select few. I mean, the devil has, has been planning his antichrist for a long, long time. It's the mystery of iniquity. That word means, it's translated sin in another verse, but it's anomos, which means without without uh, law. So this mystery of lawlessness has been all the time. And in the last days, we see it happening more and more. There's just lawlessness. I mean, we, we live in this life, this world of this woke, cancel culture and the false teachings about racism and, 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 and critical race theory and all that stuff being touted as accurate. Kind of like in the 70s, when 60s and 70s, when they started teaching evolution in the schools, teaching it as, as accurate as if it was. But the Bible says that this hidden plan is already at work. It says already, which the Greek word means it's no new development, something that's been at work for quite some time. I mean, it's been around, it's been around. They've been planning it and planning it and planning it. And so we see it coming to pass. All right? And I love what it says here. In that same verse, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. This is talking about the rapture of the church. We've talked about this before, but the word only means no one else. Right now, there's no one else standing in the way except, except this one that's, that's here. It's talking, about, it's talking about the one who's been here since Jesus went to heaven, and he's talking about the church. All right? So he's going to remain hidden until, until the restrainer be taken out of the way, and that happens to be the church, and we've talked about that before. All right? I have a lot of Greek words, but I'm going to skip them for right now. This is what I want to get to. Verse, verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, that's talking about after the church is raptured, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I love that verse. It says, as soon as the church is gone, then the wicked one comes, and it says, the Lord will consume him with the spirit of his mouth. Remember when Jesus was confronted by the devil on the Mount of Temptation? Every time the devil tempted him, what did Jesus reply with? It is written. It is written. It is written. The word of God came out of Jesus' mouth and it defeated the devil every single, every single time. It says the word, this word consume here, it means to kill, to murder, to slay, to slaughter, to do away with or abolish. How is Jesus going to do that? He's going to abolish 
the Antichrist. I mean, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, he's going to come on the horse. We're going to be on horses coming with him. We're going to come down, and Jesus is going to murder him. He's going to slay him. He's going to do away with him. He's going to abolish him. The Bible says, with the spirit of his mouth. The word spirit has to do with the pneuma or his breath. A better translation would be this. Jesus will destroy him with one puff from his mouth. One puff from his mouth. That's how powerful the word of God is when it is spoken in faith by someone who believes it. I mean, when Jesus comes and he meets the Antichrist, he's just going to go, yeah, Have you ever seen those evangelists on TV back in the old days? They would go, They'd breathe on people and they'd fall down. Well, when that happens, when Jesus breathes on him, he's not going to just fall down. He's going to be annihilated. He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to be abolished. I mean, he's going to come and he's going to, he, it's, I love it, it says, and he shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Destroy, the word, the word literally means to bring to nothing, reduce to waste, to render inactive, to abolish, to put out of commission. Jesus is going to breathe on him and the brightness of his coming the, is, 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 going to, is going to take him out. The word, I love this, the word brightness, the Greek word is, is epiphania, which we get the English word epiphany from, this, from that word. It means a sudden appearance. It suggests that when Christ arrives on the scene and he opens his mouth, it will be an epiphany moment for the Antichrist. <laughs> He is going to realize that his ruinous rule has come to an end. It is going to be all over. The brightness of his coming, the word coming, we've looked at this word before, the Greek word is parousia, which is a technical expression for a royal visit from a king or an emperor. When the king of kings comes, the brightness of his coming, the devil's going to, it's, I can just see it, uh-oh, and it's going to be over. With one puff of his mouth, Jesus wins. He is the king. There is the Antichrist, all this stuff that we see going on, there is a king. There is a kingdom. And we are part of that kingdom. Our job is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not seek my kingdom and my this or that. His kingdom. His kingdom. And the right way, the, the right as he sees it. And then we're going to be riding in the army with him. And we'll see the demise of the Antichrist as Jesus breathes on him and the brightness of his coming destroys him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring a kingdom. You came, Lord, not just a kingdom about some weakness, but the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. And so, Father, tonight we choose to enlist ourselves in the kingdom of God. We thank you. We honor you. We bless you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.